What's up, and welcome to the Crude Oil Podcast, a weekly uncensored Edmonton Oilers podcast with your hosts, Sean and Greg. Okay, welcome to the post-draft pre-free agency episode of the Crude Oil Podcast. It's been a whirlwind of a week, eh, Sean? Uh, Yeah, I was at the cabin this weekend trying to watch and follow all this with spotty service all weekend. And oh. just like hearing about trades and retirements after it happened and not being able to read anybody's reaction to it and just like running around the cabin to whoever cared and be like, hey, dad, guess this happened. And then go up to my cousin and be like, and this happened too. It's tough to like live a full life and follow the news, like especially on a weekend like this. But um, yeah, we, we might as well dive into things because there's so much to go over everything that happened and then everything that is to happen in the next week. Uh, let's just dive into the first piece of news, the Zach Cassian trade to Arizona. Initial thoughts, Sean. Well, my initial thoughts were like, I'm happy that they managed to get rid of his contract. And I think this is, I think the point of debate is whether or not they gave up too much. So essentially they traded Cassian their first, a 2024 second and a 2025 third. Those years might be mixed up, but it's those two yeah. years and those two picks. Yeah. Um, for Arizona's 2022 first. So they essentially dropped three spots and traded a second and a third to get rid of Cassian. Uh, yeah, Let, let's break down the fourth wall. You and I talked about this, and I, I, I could feel there's tension and disagreement in our, our thoughts. I was pissed off. I was really upset. Um, and I, I've kind of sat with my thoughts for a little bit. Like, everything you kind of responded with in our conversations makes sense. So I'll kind of... Uh, just explain. I, I was just pissed off that we're trading future assets for a bad decision that we made in the past. And I think the one thing that makes me upset is the fact that it's it's just something we've seen in the past. Um, it's just, it, it's rinse and repeat. And uh, I think you calmed me down a little bit, at least with in regards to the, the future picks. Like you mentioned, like it's, it's two years down the road, but... Uh, yeah, I don't two know. and three years down the road. That's so true. Yeah, it, it does feel less impactful. Like if it was next year's second and third, I would be a little bit more upset because we're going to need those assets. I don't even know if we have them now that I'm saying that, but we're going to need those assets to try and make sure we have a competitive team, make trades for people at the deadline. Those important picks. Yeah. So, and I think later down the road, we'll be more happy about the fact that we got rid of Cassian's contract without having to retain or having to buy him out or anything um, and have that cap space because I think that's more important than the assets themselves down the road. Well, it it makes sense. Uh, I think there's two pieces that kind of piss me off. It's the first thing that um, I've always been a a big Cassian guy uh, for a bunch of numerous reasons, but the one thing I've always felt bad is his contract was signed um, right, right before all this COVID stuff hit and, you know, um, the expectation that the cap was going to go up. So obviously when he's taking a bigger proportion of what your cap actually turns out to be, uh, it's now his fault. Uh, I, I don't know if there was that piece and that's just, I don't know. The thing that I am happy about with this trade though, is you found a way to get his money off the books and you also, by trading those future picks, like you mentioned, it's kind of a, a showing that the Oilers are ready to do this now and not like these these windows over the next two, three years are are absolutely critical. Um, I just, 
I was nervous at first because you look at to a draft. What do we have this year? Three, four picks? We had four picks. Yeah, so I, I just I don't know how long down the road that starts becoming an issue. But Yeah, yeah. well, I was just – it's funny you mention that because Edmonton's actually have just announced their development camp roster. And I was looking at the roster, and it wasn't that – like it wasn't very good, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some filler filler guys like Kesselring and Camper there, more so like they've played in the AHL. They really probably shouldn't be there at this point. Um, Holloway's not there, but that's because they are sitting him so he can properly recover from his injuries and <laughs> right. had a long season and all that jazz. But – um, there was no like big guys outside of Borgo that I was just like, okay, like this, this could be good. Maybe Savoy and Lavoie. Mm-hmm. Um, was Tulio on that list too? I think so. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. he's not exactly high on my, like, he's going to make the roster in the next three years kind of list at this point. No. So uh, it, yeah. So those looking at the, the way the Oilers have picked late and especially the, uh, um, the later picks have seemed to have more value than what they've found with like their second to fourth round picks. Um, yeah, if you look at like some of the names that they picked in the second and third rounds over the past like ten years, it's it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit skeptical. Um, but you you see guys like Tulio who's picked in one of the last rounds, and uh, uh, who's that other guy in Bakersfield? Petrov. Oh yeah, Petrov. Yeah. So. Um, like you're you're starting to see the the late picks develop, but it doesn't mean you're gonna win every single time with with those uh, kind of gambles. So I I don't know the the Cassian thing as it is it's uh, it sucks from a, a fan favorite perspective, but I get it. Uh, it's just a it was it was a need. It's so. it's a touchy subject, but was he really a fan favorite anymore? Like he was in 2017. But, like, I don't think anybody, maybe for the odd game, mm-hmm. and when I say the odd game, I mean every 20th game, he does something that you're like, whether it's a big hit, a fight, or scores a big goal. But, yeah. like, sure, if he was a fourth liner, I'd be like, whatever. Like, if he does that, <laughs> that's fine. But he's getting paid, like, a top nine winger who needs to be able to move in the lineup and do that more often, and he just wasn't. So, as much as I loved what he had done for us, he's done nothing in this contract to make me even be remotely sad that he's leaving. <laughs> You're so harsh. I'm being. I'm just being pragmatic about it. I, I get it. I get it. Um, but no, shout out to Zach Cassian for all the the amazing uh, memories he's kind of left us over the years uh, from the the fights and really self handedly bringing back the Battle of Alberta. Um, and uh, yeah, just the 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 run in the playoffs. But uh, it kind of moves us to the next piece of well the kind of big shocking news um right in the middle of the day on friday it was announced it was rumored for about a day and a bit but uh it was it was made official that duncan keith has announced his retirement and uh he he leaves with one year on his contract uh but kind of basically gave the edmonton oilers you know a big wad of cash on his way out I think everyone's excited for it, honestly. Like, nothing against Keith, but he's j- just wasn't $5.5 million player anymore. Um, I, lo- I loved what he brought to the team in terms of leadership and stuff. I think he was a great mentor to Bro- or Bouchard. And with that being said, it was probably time for him to go, and I'd rather see a player like him leave 
not necessarily on top, but not as just a husk of his former self, just skating out there just to make a make a buck, essentially. Yeah, I, I think I really actually resonate with your last point because I, I I honestly can't understand the amount of like grotesque hate there is for Duncan Keith out there sometimes. Like the the fucking idiot on Twitter who posted uh, his favorite memory of Duncan Keith was like that picture when he was passed out in the corner. Like, fuck yourself. Um, like, Duncan Keith isn't going to show up and be the, the Norse-winning, like, defenseman that he's been his entire career, but he's bringing a lot of intangible assets to the team, like you'd mentioned, the leadership and everything. And I, I thought he was valuable, but, um, yeah, it's just nice to see a guy walk away from the game where he's not, like, you know, you know the phrase where it's die a hero, live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. Like I, I think it was perfect timing for him just to to hang it up. So, um, yeah. Did you hear the rumblings about Chicago too? Like that was part of his decision. Yeah, I had read somewhere that he basically didn't want to fuck Chicago over, right? Because for anybody who doesn't know, Chicago essentially gets his full cap space this year as a penalty, as a cap penalty as well as a, like a third of it or something next year. Mm-hmm. So they have to eat that cap. So while we're getting the relief, he's fucking over his legacy team that he played for for 15 years and won three cups with. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision for him, but uh, that was probably something that was allowing, um, not allowing, but basically causing the delay in the decision to occur. But again... Yeah, Duncan Keith leaves with uh, five and a half, just a little over five and a half in cap space. Um, back on the Oilers' payroll, what they do with it. We're going to talk a lot about that uh, in a couple minutes, but uh, I want to spend some time just looking at the draft first. All or first of all, like from an entire NHL perspective, uh, s- some of the shocks and stuff that you saw, and then uh, we'll get into kind of the Oilers side of the draft, and then we'll get into the. The upcoming week stuff so um first overall were you as shocked as i was when shane wright was not picked the only reason i was shocked was because like i'd read it like i know slavkovsky was a good player mm-hmm. and i know because like i'm a part devils fan that the devils were interested in him because like they didn't need a center, but Montreal they needed a center mm-hmm. to play with Suzuki in their top six, like to have their two centers. So with that being said, like they tr- uh, drafted Slavkovsky, and I was like, oh geez, and you could hear the fans in the arena, just like <laughs> nobody knew what to do. It's like when Montreal took, I think it was Kotkaniemi when they drafted him, and it just pans to the crowd, and they're all just kind of like, what the fuck? Yeah, and that's the vibe I was getting. But then they immediately go and trade for Kirby Doc out of Chicago, and then I was like, "Well, now this makes more sense why they would have done that." Yeah, it uh, it made a lot of sense, and you could tell they're they're you know hinging their bets on on uh, certain players. I mean, back to the kind of the Duncan Keith scenario, um, probably that inside knowledge, knowing that they're going to have to shed some salary to eat some kind of a hit like i'm just surprised that it wasn't like obviously you're not going to be able to trade a first round pick or whatever they ended up giving rid of i know there's a haul for like a jonathan taser or patrick kane or anything but i was just i was shocked first off to see to brink at leave and then uh, uh just to see kirby doc gone but 
I mean, Montreal did a hell of a job at making a splash in their own rink, no less, at the draft. Oh, it was fun. It was funny when uh, Bettman walked up to the stage to announce the doc trade. And he's just like, I got some trades to announce. People are still booing. He's like, it's about Montreal. (laughs) And they're like, oh, oh. There's something that happened before. I think it was right before the draft even started, but they're booing him. And he's like, this is your, it's something about their city. I think he was was commenting on Montreal about how uh, uh, well they were received um when the nhl was in town and he's like what are you booing for this is your city um but no uh, it was i was shocked but i i uh, i kind of knew that when new jersey came up obviously my big question was like okay what do they do because i mean i'm gonna let you have the floor here well it's uh kind of the opposite of montreal where the last thing they need is a center because they have Heischer and Hughes, and the last thing they need is more centers unless they want to bump one of them to the wing. And defense is a huge hole for their roster outside of, like, Dougie Hamilton on the top pair. It's kind of, like, questionable throughout their roster, especially on their left side. So I'm not surprised at all that they decided to take uh, Nemich, and he was, he's really good. He's the best defenseman in the draft, so that wasn't a reach at all. But Arizona's pick of uh, Logan yes. Cooley, I think that might have been more set with like we wanted like they knew Cooley would be available then they were committed to Cooley and they just ignored the fact that Shane Wright dropped I I couldn't agree more like I I was shocked but I wasn't shocked that it happened um I don't know if you were following like I was refreshing um Twitter Bob McKenzie had every pick probably 30 seconds before the team even got to the mic like, it was ridiculous. You know when it says, like, the pick is in, I wonder if they just hand him yeah, no the pick? Shit. And they're like, okay, Bob, tweet about it. Uh, but, yeah, as soon as I saw Logan Cooley, I was like, oh, he's getting pranked or he doesn't know anything. And then, sure, shit, they pick Logan Cooley. Um, so, I don't know. And I also know that uh, a lot of – they were talking about Arizona's um, scouting team, and they're very familiar with the, the American uh, development program. So – Maybe they just know and they're more comfortable with this pick, like you said. So, um, yeah, and then that meant Shane Wright eventually got picked at number four. Yeah. Um, did you see the stare down? Yeah, he uh, he was not happy about it. <laughs> they just kept uh, showing him after every pick, and I think it was after New Jersey picked, and there was a video of him, and you could see his mouth moving. And uh, whoever I was listening to was like, it looked like he said, like, Arizona, not bad, not bad. <laughs> and then just doesn't get picked by Arizona either, and he's probably just like, fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't know. So if you listen to, uh, they're interviewing Montreal's GM. His last name's Hughes, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Ken Hughes. Yeah. Um, there's just been so many Hughes involved in the draft lately. But anyways, he was talking about one of the big things that he uh, uh loved when they they made their ultimate decision was when um they were interviewing players and they got to Slavkowski they asked him what his favorite hockey moment was and he said it was either winning a medal or being in a one goal game either up or down because it means you're fighting from like from a team perspective and I mean character goes to a lot more of the uh the point system than you'd actually imagine um so i wonder like i I know i texted you like what the hell did shane wright say in his interview well i heard some um scouts and gms and stuff when they were interviewing shane wright a lot of them were really hounding him about the fact that he didn't go overseas 
mm. to play the last two years during the COVID stuff because a lot of the young players went over there because their seasons got canceled. Um, and he didn't. And I think maybe they were questioning his like commitment to the game or something like that because I think that's, that's always kind of been a thing with um, these guys who get, what's the word, exceptional status right. in yeah. those league where they just are scrutinized for so long that I think they just pick them apart and his season got more impacted than these European guys who all got picked ahead of him um, or the U.S. national development guys. So I think that negatively impacted as well. But I think he was pretty cocky from what I was aware of in all of his interviews. They did like the red carpet interview at the start. He sounded so cocky. Mm. And maybe it's just like, yeah, the person matters too. Yeah. And he just wasn't giving off the right vibes for anybody. <laughs> Yeah, that was the the big shock. Did you have any anything else before we jump to the Oilers? There was two things. Okay. Um, one, I was disappointed New Jersey didn't pick the other Jack Hughes. Um, oh there was God. another Jack Hughes available, <laughs> and they had the chance to pick him, and they didn't. I love like, Vancouver. Yeah, and then Vancouver with their meme pick of drafting drafting defenseman Elias Pettersson to go with their center Elias Pettersson. Yeah. So that's going to be confusing <laughs> if he ever makes the NHL. Too funny. Um. Yeah, so moving on to the the bottom of uh, the the draft order there in the first round, uh, I'm I'm gonna be honest, I didn't pay too too much attention onward from round two. It kind of stuck around just to see on day two whether or not there's gonna be any uh, you know sig- significant moves. Um, I think the Oilers landed Talbot on day two of the draft, but uh, yeah, just 29th overall. Um, Arizona used that that pick that they had uh, gotten in the Zach Cassian trade to select Maverick Lamoureux. Maybe the most awkward scenario for the poor kid who uh, forever will be ingrained with his mom and dad making out. Oh, well, yeah. oh God, that was so awkward. <laughs> uh, poor guy. Um, but uh, actually, that was one of the, the things that I had penciled in looking into the Edmonton Oilers uh, if they were to pick 29. Yeah. Um, he was one of the guys that I was actually interested in, but ultimately the Oilers wind up getting uh, the guy that they rumored to have wanted the entire time in Reed Schaefer at 32. I think Reed Schaefer is a great pick, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, he's uh, six foot three, just over 200 pounds, like a power, power forward scoring winger. Um, I think that's exactly what this team needs. Like centers is the last thing we give a shit about at this point. When you have guys who can play center in McDavid, Drysaddle, Nuge, McLeod, Holloway, Borgo, like I think that's pretty good center depth for the next five years. So, plus with a guy being this size, he, he's more likely going to be able to make it in faster than some smaller players. Um, well, so he could be considered NHL ready in air quotes. And and you have to consider the fact that he's he's a year older. Um, yeah. he'll be nineteen. Uh, it's an 0-4 draft. He's oh three. Um, yeah, so I, I reached out to uh, a friend of mine who's, uh, who works in the, the local scouting uh, community, and he's been keeping an eye on this. He comes out with rankings every year. And so I, I just sent him a text. I was like, what do I need to know about Reed Schaefer? What are the things that uh, uh, stand out about him? And he said he's, he's one of those guys that has a heavy shot, and he's learning how to use it. Um, he's a big guy, like you had mentioned, and uh, um, he's... He compared it to when Puglia Yarvi came back those first couple games from Finland when he was starting to throw his body around, shooting the puck when he had the opportunities. Um, but he also explained, yeah, the, the fact that he uh, he only has one more year left 
back, uh, well, available to him in the CHL. Otherwise, he's moving straight into uh, Bakersfield. And then um, from there, there's something to do with when the Oilers sign his entry contract level. If he signs it within the next, uh, I don't know, there's a way that he can extend his uh, entry level into four years. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not the, the expert when it comes into that. But, uh, yeah, it's um, it, it's exciting. The only thing that I always get nervous about is whenever they pick a local kid. And you kind of always hope that it's not a, a biasy. Um, just because you've, this is like the guy that you've watched grow up playing in, you know, Spruce Grove and then he moves on. But yeah, I don't know. Like I get nervous when you see like a Tyler Benson situation. I, I, I hope it's not, I always hope it's not, but it's just one of those things that I, I'm always a little bit leery about picking the guy that's from here. I don't really think like with the Tyler Benson situation that that was the problem though. He just doesn't didn't have the foot speed or whatever to play at the NHL level, and who knows he could still crack the league one day. He's still young, but I would hope that there's not nepotism involved in this, like you mentioned. But I think that we should be okay on that front. But yeah. I, do, I guess I don't want to speak too soon. But <laughs> if I were to bet, I wouldn't say that this was a nepotism pick, and that yeah, no, this is uh, should be good money for our pick at thirty thirty two. Yeah, so. No, I, uh, I, um, I, I'm optimistic for sure. Uh, and the other good thing that um, I also love to hear was the fact that he elevated his game. Elevated his game once he got to Seattle. Um, he had a pretty breakout, a pretty good breakout year um, there. So I don't know. It, it's so early to see with these players because you know I'm so used to the Edmonton Oilers drafting someone, throwing them in the league right away, that you kind of forget that. You might not see him for two to three years. Yeah, we don't really have a proper understanding of how proper development works anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Okay, um, let's jump into the crux of this conversation for this episode. Uh, we always seem to you know, spend the most time predicting on what's going to happen, looking at the different options, and then just sitting back the next episode and going like, what the fuck? So there's so much that's coming up in the upcoming week. The first thing I just want to... Um, jump into it should be a pretty self-explanatory thing but Mike Smith like the expectations he's going on LTIR right it's either LTIR or he's going to retire Um, I think regardless it's it's fine Mm -hmm. as long as he's not playing next year and impacting the cap I don't think people are going to care all that much Mm -hmm. and I don't think there's going to be an issue with us spending up to the cap at the start of the seasons so we can make sure we use all of that LTIR room Okay. Um, did we want to quickly touch on the other three guys that they drafted? Or did yeah. we want to move on to these other things? I was just going to jump into this other stuff. I, I honestly don't have enough I'm not insight. looking at the timer. We could have been talking already for 30 minutes, and I'm not aware, so we might have to move on. But Yeah, we got 23 minutes in. So Okay. Well, I just want to just quickly touch on that before we move on. So, yes, I agree with you. Mike Smith is probably LTIR or retire. Well, I guess we'll find out. I think you said today is the deadline? Tomorrow, yeah. Or tomorrow, so... We should find out shortly. Um, and so just quickly, the other three guys that we drafted. So we drafted Samuel Johnson, 155th overall. He is a six foot five goalie from the SHL, I believe. Um, but with that being said, his numbers were horrific over there. He was 9-20 and 20 with a 325 goals against and an 883 save percentage. Love to hear it. Um, goalies are voodoo, as they say. So... 
I'm not going to like count my chickens before they hatch on this one. Give him a chance to kind of adjust his game, especially if he comes over to North America. I don't think we would have taken this guy as early as we did if the scouts didn't see something in him. <laughs> so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And then with the next pick that we had, which was 190, 190th overall, we took Nikita Yevseyev. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to say that again. Um, and he is a six foot one defenseman. And apparently he likes to play physical. And that's the only information I could find on this guy. Same with the previous goalie. There's like nothing on either one of these two. As soon as you get past that like 100th overall, that's why I was like, I'm never going to find anything anyway. It's such a shot in the dark. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. I'll keep an (laughs) eye out to see if anybody has any actual reports on these guys so we can have uh, some actual discussion on them. But And then with our last pick, we took, uh, I'm guessing, Yul Mata. And he is actually an overager. He's 20 years old. Um, and he's essentially, he's been playing in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And he's known for his defensive play. So I think at best he would probably project at best a third line defensive center. But likely more fourth line center. That we'll see in six years. Yeah, well, he's already <laughs> 20 years old. So well, only yeah. four years. <laughs> so, But that was it. And now we can move on to the other things. I just wanted to talk about that quick. Yeah, no, it, it's it's good that you, you bring it up. It's just always so tough to find anything on those players. Like even just searching their own leagues that they're playing in. It's just stats. and um, but Yeah, well, and I don't understand those leagues either. So I look at those stats and I'm just like, what? The, like, why, like the goalie and his stats are fucking terrible but i'm sure he's probably on the one of the worst teams in the league or something like that with stats like that and gets hung out to dry by his defenseman all the time mm. so well with the uh the smith discussion out of the way i think we're both on the same page we ex- we don't expect him to be in the net for the edmonton oilers next year um so with that understanding and that kind of uh um expectation Let's open up the goalie talk because there seems to be one of three different guys being floated around here, uh, and I know that you had one in particular that you're expecting. Well, my expectation is Jack Campbell at this point. From everything I've been reading, it seems like uh, all but guaranteed at this point mm. um, at five years, five million. Um, what would you think of that deal if we were to sign him to that? Oh, boy. Um, I don't like the term. At the same time, like, Jack Campbell has busted his ass from where he's come to where he's going. Like, he deserves to get that somewhere. Um, someone's going to give him that. So I think if he's to come to Edmonton, like, he's going to be he's gonna be looking at um, that term and that money. I don't, I don't mind the $5 million range, um, but I would prefer it to be two to three years, but it's just not going to work. So 5x5 five five with Stuart Skinner as your... Your goalie in a couple of years, you might run into a bit of an issue, but um, it ultimately depends. Like you look at Jack Campbell this year, which Jack Campbell is gonna play for the Edmonton Oilers next yeah, year? Beginning of the season, Jack Campbell, or end of the season, Jack yeah. Campbell? So I mean, if you're you got him at the start, he's completely value pick. Like if he played the way he did up until January, if he plays the way he did afterwards, you're you're running into a Cassian situation. Well, my only concern with that is because he's never really been a starter before until like the last couple of years is maybe he was being overplayed by Toronto and that's why his game fell off. And it makes me question whether or not he can be a legitimate starter. Well, and then you go to 
to see like if he's gonna like what kind of expectation is there gonna be um from uh like in terms of the the workload between skinner and uh um let's say jack campbell like i would assume be 60 starts yeah. on campbell would be 60 really well, like that's the high end but mm. and then that leaves 22 for skinner yeah um but like in my perfect world i'd rather like 50 32 yeah but no, i don't know if I think that's, that's perfect i don't know if that's what campbell is looking for he's probably looking to get starts and be a true starting goaltender but with that being said i don't think that is necessarily the recipe for success in the nhl anymore yeah well, so did you see that tweet that was floating around with uh, Jack Campbell about he said something on TSN about how uh, um, he wasn't happy with what the Leafs offered him or something? But well, I think the Leafs, from what I'm aware of, they have like ten million dollars in cap space and have a similar situation to Edmonton where they have all these like two to three million dollar uh, RFAs that they need to sign. Yeah. So I think at most they can only really offer Campbell like four million dollars. Oh, I was just getting to the point that. Like, everybody was responding to this like it was gold, and I was just going to say how bogus it is. Like, the guy who puts up TikToks with his cats and, you know, is, like, the nicest human being on the planet is going on public radio to talk about his contract negotiations that he can't even talk about yet. Well, I'm sure he didn't bring it up, but somebody probably just asked him. They're like, are you they offering you something good? And maybe he just mentioned by accident, it's just like... (laughs) Like we our expectations are a little bit more than they've offered us, or something along those lines. I haven't listened to it or read it, so. Oh yeah, but yeah. I I would assume that's kind of how that would come out because for anybody who doesn't know, apparently Jack Campbell is a really really good person, so everybody loves him. Oh my goodness, yeah. So he's he's the the new hymen for the team. I, if I there's one thing we know: Leafs players do great when they come here. So I believed that tweet as much as I believed anything that comes out from Garfield. So. Um. As per Garfield. Um, yeah, so that kind of brings up the other options that the Edmonton Oilers have. Uh, I've heard the name Darcy Kemper floated out there. Don't know if I love that. I don't know if I, I feel solid with Darcy Kemper coming here. My my concerns with Kemper are injuries and injuries and injuries. Yeah. So, like, he's had that eye problem, apparently, where essentially he couldn't see out of one eye. For some of the playoffs, seems to be a little bit crucial for a goalie. Yeah, right? and like it's just I don't know. I'm not. I'm afraid to get stuck with like an injury prone goalie, and it's going to be pushing Skinner into it when he doesn't need to because we're not really running three goalies next year. So mm-hmm. if we get into huge injury trouble with our starter, we might be in big trouble. Yeah, it'll be interesting because so the other thing that I was going to float your way too, just with the news with. Uh, um, what's going on in Minnesota? And by the way, love how Bill Guerin is just responding to the media and just completely giving your non-traditional GM answers. Um, but with it seems to be a little bit of uncomfortability with uh, with Cam Talbot. Could we see a reunion in Edmonton? If he's interested in coming back, I wouldn't see why not. Like um, he loved it here, as far as like the portrayal that he gave it. It's true, and if he's like I said, if he's fine coming back, I would not be opposed to it. He's kind of he's if only he's just gotten better mm-hmm. in, since he's left. Um, so I could see that being of interest if he's really as disgruntled as he is there. Um, I don't know exactly what his contract looks like, but I don't know. Would you be interested in that? Uh, yeah, I was as soon as the news came out. That's the first thing I thought of. Like I, 
I was like the honestly the first thing I thought of is there's your Pulia Yarvi fit, like it it fits Minnesota. They need to have someone come up front. They've got all of that like cap space that's tied up in like all of their buyouts. Um, they just I think it would it benefit both teams. The Oilers might have to sweeten the pot a little bit, but uh, I I would love Cam Talbot to come back. He can come back basically in kind of the the role that he was in before he left but um he's older now he's had more experience as a starter and uh he can kind of hand off that uh um that knowledge to a, a younger goalie in Stuart skinner but i mean i keep saying this expecting that he is the answer and i don't know if the oilers think the same way as i do well i don't think if i'm being perfectly honest nobody on the market and nobody who's available is the answer to what Edmonton needs. Well, yeah. Like, they're going to need something more either, like, a true number one starting goalie, which we haven't had in a very long time, and, like, and I mean a long-term starting goalie where they stick with us for longer than, like, a year. Um, and nobody out there is available. So, and that's, like, that's why I was so mind-boggled about the Vili Husso stuff. Like, he was a, heh, goalie at best. I'm sorry. He, he was meh. I get it. He's on a good contract. He's young, but just the whole like uproar for him just completely mind boggled me. I don't know. Like for every single goalie, I feel like regardless of who we sign or trade for or whatever ends up happening, I'm probably going to be disappointed. Yeah. Be like, yeah. I just don't see it yeah. with this player. But then people ask me, who do you want instead? And I'm like, well, give me like Igor Shosturkin and I'll be happy. <laughs> exactly. Like, give me the best or nothing. Yeah. So. I don't know what Edmonton needs to do, and that's why I'd, I don't want to put all my eggs in the like Skinner basket or the Fanti or the Rodrigue basket, but we need to develop a goalie who actually is a starting goalie because I can't think of one that we have done. Like maybe, did we draft Tommy Salo? Like, <laughs> no, we picked the, him up from the Islanders. Okay, well, like, when's the last time we ever developed a goalie who was a, like a starting goalie for our team? Well, yeah, I. I don't know. So back just to the the Huso thing. I was also perplexed with the whole situation in Detroit because Huso's twenty four. The whoever I can't. I'm, Nijelkovic. I, thank you. Uh, I can't pronounce his name. He's he's relatively young too. And then you've got Kosa sitting in the wings. Oh yeah, they have Kosa there too. I forgot like, about what that. The, what the fuck's going on? Like I get the Iser plan is bigger than my, you know, brain can comprehend, yeah, your, but your brain's just too small to understand the Iser plan. <laughs> but is he available? Because if he's available, there's your guy that you want in a couple of years. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to it would be worth it to try and trade for Kosa if that's what you're suggesting or suggesting. If he's available? Yeah, but if if he's available, yeah. It's going to cost big assets, and I don't want to trade big assets for a young goalie that I have no clue how he will play. Well, who knows? Kenny Holland <laughs> might have his his uh, his squeeze with Detroit and might swindle something sweet for them. It just sounds like more nepotism, Greg. Why? Because he used to play for the Oil Kings. That has nothing did. to do with it. He's a local boy now. He lived here for Because he played years. for the local team. Yes. Just like Griffin <sighs> Reinhardt. I get it. I get it. But he was the best goalie in that draft. That's all I'm. No, I, at. I don't disagree. Um, but I just don't think it's worth trading for another young goalie when we have yeah. young goalies in the system who could be better. Yeah. No, I I can't disagree with that thought. 
Um, I but, do. I know where you're coming from, though. Yeah. The fact that they even brought Huso in with with Nijelkovic in the back, like as their starter, is, seems kind of dumb in the first place. Yeah. But I think that leans more toward what I was saying before, which is the whole starting goalie and backup goalie model isn't working anymore. So teams have rotated to the one A one B. Yeah. Where you do like a fifty fifty split of the games, and then whoever's the hottest goalie, you run that goalie in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay, so moving on, I know we touched on it a little bit, but I floated the idea of Puliyarvi being the trade, but uh, it doesn't sound like there's too too much uh, floating out there for him. I'm kind of surprised by that, to be honest. I don't know if maybe Puliyarvi's contracts contract asks are really stupid, or if teams are afraid of the fact that he's arbitration eligible, or what's going on. But with that being said, I'm very happy that we are not just getting rid of him to get rid of him similar to what Chicago seems to have done with the brink at where they took like less just to like throw him away. Mm-hmm. It just, if we're, if we aren't going to get something good, like a good roster player, another former first round pick who needs a change of scenery or something like that. Then I say you hang up the phone, sign him to a contract and let him play it out. Yeah, he, if he wants to run back to Finland, so be it. I was going to say, so let's put a deadline of October 1st. Is Yessa Puliyarvi still a member of the Oilers franchise? And I say that just even if it's his rights. I'm going to say yes because... Like out of 10, what would you say? Oh, I would say probably like an, a 7 at this point. Yeah. Just because they're, if teams don't, have, don't value him, for example, if they're not willing to give up stuff. So even if we include him in the trade... It's like he's just a filler part of the trade. That apparently teams don't value him. So why would we get rid of him? Well, it's weird because you heard that there's like what six to seven teams that are interested, and now there seems to be nothing. And it just—I feel bad for the guy. But how funny would it be like to be stuffed twice from like wanting out of somewhere? They're like, ah, go somewhere else. Come back when you want to play hockey. Like we're not trading you. Well, so. like I don't know. He needs to play well. Mm. and then get traded when he's playing well and not asked to or look elsewhere when he's his values at one of the lowest it seems to have been in years yeah i if i would i'd be willing to bet that if pulley rv doesn't settle with anything doesn't get traded and ends up playing in finland next year that he's gonna be looking for a new uh, agency to be working with because yeah nuts um with that being said there's a situation with uh um, kind of the, the cap room that the Oilers have and what they need to sign. Um, the first guy I want to talk about, because I see there being two um, scenarios, and I'm going to kind of bring them up, and then we'll talk about it. First one being Evander Kane, because you're going to be looking at, uh, what, seven, seven plus for whatever Kane wants. So the word is that he's asking for north of seven million. Is, so. so is this across the league, or is this Oilers ask? I'd or be- is that even false? Like, I think it was, it might have been like Tom Gazzola talking mm-hmm. about it. I can't remember who it was, but apparently that's what he's asking asking for. Like Edmonton is interested in like six to seven, and he's like, no, seven, like more than seven. I'm not interested in anything less, which from a personal perspective on his side, I understand. Right. He was bankrupt. He needs, <laughs> he wants to rebuild his life and set himself yeah. up for the future. So good on him. He's old. He needs to make bank on this contract now, or he might never have that opportunity again. But if that is all the case and he's not willing to negotiate properly in right. good faith and the fact that his numbers were higher like because of shooting percentage was higher because he's playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl, etc., then I will say bye-bye Kane. Yeah. 
I'd rather pick up like Clojure and some other defenseman, let's say, for the price of Vanderkane. Yeah, uh, I should have led this with a little bit of a precursor, and I want to be very clear when I'm talking about this because I know that there is something that came up on on social media with his ex-wife yesterday, and it brought up the the topics about his personal life. We are talking about the hockey player Vanderkane because I don't know him as a person. I don't know what like else is going on in his life we are completely judging him on his performance on the ice um so with that being said yeah i i think you have to really look at uh um that number and i think i yeah i get it but is there still some impact with his uh hearing in the coming days like whether san jose picks up a portion of that well i'm still hoping that's the case is that at a minimum he can't sign like a AAV over the current seven million that he has on the San Jose contract, mm-hmm. um, and then whether San Jose has to pay, let's say, two million of it, and so Edmonton signs him for five. Yeah, um, that would be the perfect world for us, but I'm not optimistic, and I don't know when the fuck we're going to hear about that hearing at this point. Right. So all of this talk could be moot because Edmonton might just say fuck it, sign other people, and be like, I'm sorry, but like we can't do it, and Kane just gets ultimately fucked over by all of this. Oh man. Okay, so that was scenario one. Scenario two is we've heard the rumors about Claude Drew. Um, but I think I think you'll be able to sign Claude Giroux and probably a you know top six, top nine guy as well with that same money that you'd pay Kane. Yeah, and that's just like I just said, that's what I would prefer. Yeah. If, like if it's matching cap hits, then I would take that in a heartbeat is Claude Giroux and somebody else. Yeah, I I just I don't know. You ever hear a player's name and you just can't see him in an Oilers jersey? Is that Clojure one of those? Yeah, I don't know what it is, um, but maybe it's just my my brain. I just like the fact of bringing in like leadership and experience for a player who's still like capable of playing in a role enough that that impact is made more apparent. So Keith, for example, just didn't really have it in him to make the impact on the ice feel the same. Whether like he his impact on the locker room is still whatever, but with Giroux, he's still a top six forward. He's yeah. one per game in Florida. Um, he's former captain of the Flyers. Lots of playoff experience. Went to the finals with like uh, Carter and Richards back in the day. Yeah. So I think that's more the type of players they should be looking at for those roles, I guess than a like a Keith or if they're like let's just say for example they're like oh yeah let's sign Joe Thornton as our fourth line center <laughs> or something like that well and the other question that I always think of like you look at Duncan Keith and the it seemed like the ultimate reason that they signed him well, I guess they signed they traded for him but uh the ultimate reason that he came here came down to personal life um he made it very clear that he wanted to play in a certain area and uh they they made it amenable to his uh his choices but then you look at Claude Giroux, someone who's played on the East Coast for his entire career. Like, I, I don't I'm not familiar with his family status or something, but like, I would imagine if you're living there out there for so long, like to come to Edmonton, you wouldn't do it on like a one year deal, would you? Like, I would want term. I would think two years, two? probably, unless he's truly cup chasing. Yeah. And uh, just wants the chance to win the cup. And then at the end of the season, he'll be like, is that still Edmonton or is it time to move on? Just, I don't, I don't really know. Mm. A lot of these guys, it's, that's kind of what it comes down to is like, do you want to be comfortable 
and like stay the same place for three years even if it means you don't have the best chance at the cup or do you want to take a little bit less money on a one-year deal and get the chance to hopefully contend for the cup because you could everybody could just go sign in arizona for eight by eight (laughs) and just like ride off into the sunset or whatever but i just mean like in terms of his family dynamic like if you've got kids in school who have been you know in philadelphia for their entire life and he went back there like does he want to uproot his entire family and move across like the continent to edmonton well i would assume if he were to sign with edmonton his family would probably stay where they are yeah. And he would just make it work for, which makes me lean more toward what maybe sure. he wants to do a one year deal just so he, it's just a one and done kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Getting into the personal aspects, I can't dig into their brain and figure these things out. <laughs> no, like, I, I, you can only speculate. And I, I know where you're coming from, but these, these guys are also, it's like, it'd be like um, somebody working the rigs or something like that. And they'd leave their family for, like a year or whatever to go make a bunch of money mm-hmm. so they can properly support their family. And like, I'm sure his wife would be like, chase your dream. Go try to win a Stanley cup or something like that. Cause he's still getting paid regardless. Yeah. So no, that's definitely. not a problem, but it's, it's kind of, I, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> I just don't know. Yeah. I, it's just a, it's a question. I think every, every person eventually has to ask their, their self that question, especially when you've got a, a family. So, um yeah who knows I, I mean i'd love him on the team um but and and to your point too to to bring in a supplemental player with uh with that extra cap room that you would have been paying kane like i still want kane on the team but with 19 million i think it's a little north of that if if smith goes on ltir so essentially we're at about before ltir we're at just under 16 million mm. Plus, we have 6.3 million of LTIR, or LTIR. So that brings us up to just over 22 million for okay. cap space. So when you looked at the fact that Campbell's five, uh, you have to re sign well, Yamamoto, Pulia Yarvi, McLeod. McLeod. I would assume the combo of those three would be about 8 million, yeah. let's just say. So that's 13 out of 22 million. That leaves us with nine. Yeah. So you sign Kane or you sign two of these other. Other than this last one we need to talk about. I would sign, yeah, I would sign more depth because we still need more players on this roster. So I would leave Kane hanging, to be honest. If he's not willing to sign for like six and a half. I was so excited with the way that segue set up and just, just missed. Um, And yeah, that brings up the next player. talking about Kulak. Yeah, that brings up Kulak. (laughs) So we've been talking about forwards and goalies. But we haven't touched on defense. Yes. Which a lot of people, including myself, still think that was would be the reason that we lost is our defense just didn't cut it. So the current word out there is that Kulak is asking for about four years at two and a half million. Do you sign that contract? Fucking yesterday. Yesterday. I agree. From like, what I've been reading, everybody agrees with that. I'd give him eight, well, he'd never take eight years at that, but like I, I think that's significantly undervalued. What did I, what did I say I had him at? Like a couple I weeks think ago, four. Yeah, upwards of four was what you were Jesus. thinking. So yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable. I think it's a little bit more like you're signing him for four years at a lower cap rate than he could make on, let's say, a two-year contract. Well, in the comparison, I, they're not exactly the same player, but. You look at the four by four that we signed Chris Russell to. I was just thinking about that too. I was yeah. like, I feel much better at four at two and a half for a player than four by four, just because it's yeah. not as risky. Like, yes, it's still four years, 
And you could look at the Cassian contract, for example, to see the dangers of another four-year contract. But I think that's a pretty reasonable ask. It's like second, third pairing money for a defenseman. I think it's reasonable. Yeah. I Again, I would sign him yesterday. Um, but we'll, we'll ultimately see what happens. I, I do think Hulak is an Edmonton Oiler. Uh, it's just probably one of those things where it's a matter of time. You heard about how excited he was to come to Edmonton um, to play for his hometown team. So that's always fantastic to hear. Um, and when he's a fit and he performs, like it's uh, it's great to see. Um, I wanted to just wrapping up, looking at some of the, the stuff that I stumbled upon um, throughout the, the last couple days. But how funny would it be if Johnny Goudreau wound up in Edmonton. I have seen people joking about that, where they're like, we're signing Johnny, we're uh, <laughs> offer sheeting Matthew Kachuk, we're going to have them both here, and just give a real fuck you to Calgary. <laughs> I was like, yes, it would be funny, but I would not, I'd have no interest in Johnny Goudreau, to be perfectly honest with you. I, with Yamamoto in our top six already, we don't need another small winger in our top six. I was going to say, when you play against the guy so much, you get to know the kind of player that you're playing against, and... Yeah, you tend to focus on their their I don't want to say flaws, but their their kind of weaknesses as opposed to their strengths because you know how to expose them, right? Yeah. And I just knowing what his weaknesses are, it kind of makes me worried considering what we have already. But I just don't think he would be the player that we need. Like you said, we know his weaknesses and we know what this team needs, and we don't need undersized wingers. We need like medium to large sized wingers that can play that can skate fast and play with our fast forwards. Yeah, um, and they don't necessarily have to be offensive dynamos as long as they have a very serviceable defensive game. True, for example, to make up for that. So, and I don't think Goudreau has a serviceable defensive game in the slightest. If I was a team like, uh, like let's say Arizona or something, who's looking for that high octane offensive player to kind of help drive play and be the star player on your team, mm-hmm. then sure. But with Edmonton, that's the last thing they need because they have lots of high octane players already. So I think they just need more filling out of the roster and to not aim for the big fish. Yeah, I, I would agree because uh, I was thinking about Nazem Kadri and stuff like that. Like, uh, See, like Kadri would be perfect on this team. I would love him on this team. No, I would too. I just think he's going to get paid so much money that he's going to be... I think he's going to be overpaid this summer for one year of really good hockey. Is it a hot take to say that whoever signs Kadri to a contract is signing the worst contract of the offseason? No, I, I I would think that's I would I would agree with that. I would say in like three years, whoever signs Kadri will be regretting that contract. Yeah, I I agree too. Um, speaking of regrets as well, the other goalie that's floating around too is Matt Murray. No. And no. Yeah. That's all I have to say. No. I know. I know. He's I don't been... know. Maybe I'm anti Matt Murray just because of his performance the past couple of years, and I know he struggled. He struggled hard in Ottawa, and if Ottawa's trying to trade you, that's got to be a bad sign. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not overly interested in anything Matt Murray brings to the table. To be perfectly candid, I I know that uh, uh, he's been linked to the Leafs, and I'm hoping that goes through because obviously that goes through. God, Matt Murray would get ripped apart by Toronto media. Man. Oh my God, yeah. I was thinking of how bad it might be if he comes here because, like, I don't think, I don't think you're getting the Matt Murray that uh, that was in Pittsburgh. But that is what it is. 
Um, there's just like the goalies out there just never they don't tickle my fancy in the slightest there's really nothing to get super super excited about hey no there's not like this one it's not like the markstrom offseason last year where i was like fucking markstrom would be the perfect goalie for this team yeah and like i don't know if that was a blessing in disguise with his performance against edmonton but (laughs) Like there's no there's nobody on that caliber available unless you feel like trading the farm. So yeah, um, yeah. I'm just looking at the list of all the available players for next year and uh, where they fit in. I, again, still would be a huge fan of Vinny Trocheck, but um, if you can't land a Drew, that's who I I would hope you go after. I want to go after Manson still and trade Barry. I know we didn't really talk about trading Barry. Yeah, still, we can we can jump into that. I think Barry should still be available. I've seen some tweets. I think it was Rashog who says like with the Keith retirement, um, that should be indication that Barry's not getting traded. But I I disagree. We need to overhaul our defense, and I think getting rid of Keith and then getting rid of Barry would be the perfect thing. Assuming we bring in a defensive minded right side defenseman, um, as well as like bump Kulak up, for example, or sign like a a veteran defenseman on the left side. So here's, yeah, like I would I would almost double down on that because I mean, you have the chance. You know that you need to revamp everything going on in the in the defensive end, and it just seems to feel like okay, you've lost one veteran piece to your core. You can't lose two, but why can't you? Who knows like what kind of a return you're getting on a trade? If you look at a a trade that would put him in, I don't know. I've been thinking uh, Carolina may have interest because they just traded away uh, Tony D'Angelo. Right. So they may have a bit of a hole on their top power play unit, for example, now. So he could maybe go, they would be interested. Yeah, I, I could see him going there. I could see him going to, oh, shit, I just had a bunch of lists. <laughs> Um, I, I I heard the Dallas comparison. Well, yeah, with, Dallas could be interested like, too because they're losing Klingberg. Well, that's what I so. mean. Yeah, so um, I don't know. I guess it kind of depends what you get in return, uh, and then on top of that, who who's available to sign? Like, well, it, I mentioned Manson is would be my number one priority target. I think he's exactly the player I would want. I know it's a little bit this that would be feeling like a weird tr- signing just because of. Dave Manson being here and things like that. But I would hope that Edmonton doesn't, isn't too concerned about that, to be honest with you. Well, I'm going to throw it out there and, and just throw out the thoughts of maybe having a reunion with, uh, with Justin Schultz. I don't think so. Justin Schultz is just Tyson Berry again. I, I just don't think that's a good idea, to be honest. Oh, I mean, if you trade and then you have a, a hole you have to fill. Well, in desperation mode, yeah. I would hope that if they get rid of Barry, they don't do it until they have like a replacement already signed, essentially. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, so this ex- would be like uh, a ladder like signing, like mid-July kind of thing. Yeah, so uh, I would think, like, say, let's say, hypothetically, free agency opens up. We sign Manson, and then we're like, okay, or we're, we have the pre-agreement that he's going to sign with us because I know they talk about you're not allowed to do tampering, but I'm sure with free agency <laughs> opening right at noon and this, the paper hits the pen at that very second and 18,000 trades or signings are announced, it's like, oh, yep, they must have been pretty busy signing all those documents at exactly 12 o'clock. Yeah. So, so I would think that they would have something like that, and then they would be like, okay, Barry's now expendable. We can move him for something else. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't see a reason why you can't trade him. Um, well, and I think I would be afraid to to run well, like just going back to what I was just saying to running into the same or similar issue we had with when Adam Larson left, mm-hmm. where I think we to a degree panic signed Barry a little bit, where Larson left and suddenly there was a whole like I think we were signing CC the whole time, and as soon as Larson left, we're like okay, well now we have nobody on the right side. We're gonna have but, rookie Bouchard, CC, and who else? But didn't you also feel like the the whole off season last year felt like a panic because it was like oh shit, like what are we gonna do on the D? And then it's like oh shit, oh we still have that goaltending issue we have to figure well, out. Well, exactly. And by Once, the time like yeah. Markstrom bailed on us too, it was like okay, well now what? Yeah. So I'm hoping that we don't get caught with our dicks in our hands again here <laughs> and just kind of get it all away out of the way early on and then leave the rest for depth picks. We found our title for the episode, Dicks in Our Hands. 